well, everybody's been talking the last several months about the supply chain and the disruption of the supply chain. In the first place we saw it, we're in semiconductor chips. A lot of the automobile companies saying we're going to, you know, we're going to stop making cars for a while because we can't get parts. This ought to be great news for people who make semiconductor chips. Texas Instruments, for example, they make a lot of it. Raphael Lazardi's chief financial officer of TI joins us right now. It's good to have you with us. Good to be here. Thank you, David. So, t- so tell me about this situation right now. So, so on the one hand, you know, the novice would say you guys ought to just be printing money. Every semiconductor chip you ought to be selling, and you ought to be selling at a premium. Is it like that? Uh, you know, demand is uh, is at the moment uh, outstripping supply, and that has been the case now for uh, four or five quarters uh, since essentially the pandemic, uh, shortly after the pandemic uh, started. And that's driven by a number of things, but uh, uh, the main one, I think, frankly, is just the secular growth that we're seeing in some of our uh, and markets, uh, particularly industrial and, and automotive. As you and I have talked many times in these calls, uh, more and more uh, electronics are going into into our lives, right? And auto is, uh, is a clear place where that is happening, but it's also happening in uh, in other places like industrial uh, factories, building, automation, etc. So that is driving more and more uh, growth for our, for our products. You know, if if I mean, in a sense, a semiconductor chip is a commodity. And, and in commodities, you know, if there's a big demand for corn, well, you know, the next time all we do is plant corn. We don't plant wheat. All of a sudden we have a whole bunch of corn. Um, your turnaround time's a little longer for your commodity, isn't it? Well, and, and let me, if I may, let me uh, adjust something that you said. Uh, some semiconductors are commodities, like uh, uh, memory, for example, when you hear about DRAM and uh, those type of chips. Ours uh, generally are not. Uh, commodities, right? Uh, some are what we call multi-source, which means that uh, uh, if if I if a competitor uh, uh, builds them, I have a part that re- that can replace them, but the customer will have to make some changes to their board, right? So, uh, so that's why they don't behave uh, they don't behave like commodities, right? It's not like a customer can just stop buying ours and switch to to the competitors overnight, right? It takes takes a lot of work. Plus, you know. Uh, the industry is pretty fragmented, it's pretty large, but it's not, you know, it's not like, like growing uh, soybeans or, or corn, right? There's still, you know, uh, a certain amount of players that, that can do this in, in scale. Well, you can go out and, and find some capacity sometime. Uh, you guys spent, what was it, $900 million uh, to uh, buy a plant that Micron's uh, been using. What, tell me, what, what are you going to do with that? Yeah, so uh, owning our own manufacturing technology is one of our key competitor advantages, and we've been strengthening that for decades now. Uh, we currently have two 300-millimeter factories. Those are the most advanced uh, type of factories in terms of the, the, the uh, geometry uh, uh, of the wafers. Both of those are here in Dallas. Well, one in Dallas, one in uh, Richardson. Uh, we are building the third one, also in Richardson. It's going to be RFAP2, so we're going to have an RFAP1 and an RFAP2. And then we recently, and that will be finished uh, middle of next year, we'll be able to start producing revenue there. We also recently announced that we are purchasing uh, our fourth uh, factory, our fourth 300-millimeter factory. That one is in Utah, and we're buying that from Micron. Um, And that one will, uh, we should close on that transaction at the end of this year. It will be operational uh, in early 2023, and that will uh, give us another increase in uh, capacity. You know, I, I notice you you keep this all onshore. In fact, I remember several years ago talking to you. You'd closed down some plants that were offshore and brought them back here. 
And, and at the time you were talking about it, it's just easier to to keep an eye on them for quality control. Is that still true? Uh, well, there, there are many factors. First, I would tell you, we have factories all over the world. So we actually have uh, big factories in China. And when I'm talking the front end, the wafer fabs, the assembly test, which is at the back end, those are all in Asia, one in Mexico. Uh, but the front end, which is highly capital intensive, requires a lot of engineering knowledge, you know, a lot of uh, advanced technology. Those are primarily in the United States, but we also have in Germany. We also have several in Japan that operate very well, and one in China uh, that, that operates also very well. But, uh, but clearly the United States, and specifically Texas, uh, it's a good place to, uh, to have these factories, you know, the, uh, for many reasons. Uh, you know the the labor force here is uh, is outstanding. Uh, the energy costs, uh, despite uh, the issues we had in in March, uh, the energy costs uh, here in Texas, in particular, is very competitive, and energy is a big uh, factor that goes into that. But to the point you were alluding to, having it close to our existing factory is also a big advantage. We can just deploy engineers and people more easily. Uh, as we're qualifying uh, factories and we're as production changes between one factory and another. Uh, so that goes into the decision as well. Of course, the intriguing thing is that, I don't know, what, 80% of the chips you make there are going to turn around and be shipped offshore anyway and only to come back and finish products here. Yeah, so it's interesting. Yeah, like uh, 90 or uh, close to 90% of our revenues are exports, right? So we are... We're a big exporter for Texas and really for the United States. Um, and, uh, and then we ship that to customers uh, all over the world um, that then build, you know, electronics. Uh, and subsequently that ends up uh, uh, in people's hands. So um, I, I heard a lot of conversation in the conference call with the analysts about Refab 2, R-F-A-B 2. And that's the one. It looks like you're building cranes out out north. <laughs> there must be a half a dozen cranes at that plant out in Richardson. Yeah, so if you if you drive on Renner Road, Renner and uh, 75, right, uh, you take uh, Renner going west, you'll get to uh, to our RFAB facility. RFAB is Richardson Fab, right, fabrication. And that has been, it was known as RFAB. Now, now it's known as RFAB 1. And then we're building RFAB 2 right next to it, right? And, um, and you know, when RFAB 1 came online, when was that, 2011, 2012, that was the first and largest um, analog 300-millimeter factory. Well, RFAB 2 is about 30% per, per, 30 bigger than RFAB 1, right? So, oh. uh, so that's, uh, that's a pretty large investment that we're making there. And we're very excited what that's going to do for uh, for the company over the long term. You know, we, we we talked about the supply chain with with you guys supplying what's what, what there's a shortfall of right now because there's so much demand. But what about you? Are you caught up in this? Here you are building a new plant. You got to have people. You got to have equipment. Uh, are you are you seeing any problems with the supply chain yourself? Yeah. So we. Um, we started off uh, when the pandemic started, uh, and and many people feared that demand was going to drop. Uh, most of our competitors dropped their loadings, right? So their production, they cut their production. We actually kept it going, and in fact increased it. Uh, that dr that put us in a really good position, right? In hindsight, it looks really good. I, uh, uh, how we did it, it was a little scary at the time. I would right? imagine. But, but you know, yeah. But we were confident that over the long term it made sense. You know, our products. Our products are not bananas, right? They don't go bad after a, after a week or even after a few years. 
uh, they generally, you can keep them in, in inventory for um, close to a decade and still sell them, right? So that was part of the, the calculus there that we're like, hey, even if the demand doesn't materialize, we can still sell it over the long term. Uh, but it worked out very well because demand came right back, as everybody knows now. So we were, you know, several steps ahead of the competition at that point, and that has helped um, fuel our our growth relative to the to the competition. But you know, at this point, we are uh, we have depleted inventory levels. We're down uh, about at about 111 days of inventory, uh, well below where we want to be. So it is uh, it is it is tight now, and we do have a hot spot. Uh, more than we did uh, a few quarters ago. Let me ask you one last thing, because I've heard some analysts talking about this, and they say, well, but watch out for the chip industry right now, because all everybody's double ordering. And and when they get supplied by one manufacturer, they're going to cancel the other order, and you're going to find you know, a lot of pushback, and, and it's going to slow down. Maybe you answered that earlier. I mean, are yours so specialized that you don't get get hit with something like that? Uh, no, we, we, we are getting hit with that. Now, you never know which ones are the double orders, and you never know by how much. Uh, but it's, uh, it's likely that there are some double orders. You know, think of we are in a very complex supply chain, and we're at the very end, right? So if, if you're not sure you're going to have enough of something, you order a little bit more. And then the person you're, the company you're ordering from, they order a little more, and the other one orders a little more. It just builds up. By the time it gets to us, it could look like two or three x yeah. uh, the demand. You only know that in hindsight, right? After the fact, you look back and like, okay, yeah, this period was was uh, over order and, and about this much. You know, the the other confounding thing that is difficult to discern is, like we talked about earlier, there there are also secular growth trends happening at the same time. So how much of the growth is the secular growth then versus uh, versus the double ordering versus a cars? Cars are now uh, car companies are only selling their high-end models because they can't produce very much, so they're only producing the high-end models which right. have a lot of semiconductor content. So, how much of that is, and how much how much of that will stay, right? So, uh, at the end of the day, um, it doesn't bother us because, as I said, our inventory doesn't go bad, right? So we're building to demand, we're building to what we think is best. Uh, and if at some point the inventory, the, the industry correct, which it will, demand will slow down, the revenue will slow, we'll just build, rebuild inventory stock at that point, we'll get through a, an air pocket that could last two, three quarters, and then on the other side of that will be fine because the secular growth we're confident will continue. Just when you think you figure out your business, it changes, doesn't it? <laughs> but that's what keeps us keep us on our toes. Rafael Lazardi, Chief Financial Officer for Texas Estimates. We always enjoy our conversations. Thank you, sir. Thank you, David. Thanks for more of our conversation with Mr. Lazardi. Go to KRLD.com slash CEO. I'm David Johnson, News Radio 1080 KRLD.